This is the Ontario Family Law Podcast, dealing with issues related to marriage, separation, divorce, and even some child welfare issues. It's a companion to the book, The Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law, which is available on Amazon or by calling 416-446-5847. My name is John Schumann. I am a family lawyer, mediator, arbitrator, and collaborative lawyer, and I am the head of the Family Law Group at Devery Smith Frank LLP. Today on the podcast, a live discussion of how your heart can get you into financial troubles. This is a special Valentine's edition of the Family Law Podcast. To celebrate the day, I was asked to do an intimate and interactive discussion on family law issues. It being Valentine's Day, I decided the best topic would be how your heart could get you into financial trouble. Two of the ways to do that in family law are with regard to matrimonial homes and with regard to child support of stepchildren. Here is that discussion recorded live. When I was talking about um, Valentine's Day and family law, I decided I would talk about some of the ways that your heart can get you into trouble. And there seemed to be a bit of a theme about that going around during that first session. And there are some real pitfalls in the way Ontario family law works that can get you into some, you know, well, mostly financial problems because, I mean, Getting someone pregnant has its own issues, but hopefully you love the child who results. But um, financial issues are a big one, and there are some real stickers in the way Ontario's family law works that that people should know about. One where people lose a lot of money is with regard to uh, matrimonial homes, and I can talk about that. And another way people lose a lot of money is getting into a relationship with someone who has kids and then end up paying support for those kids who aren't theirs. One of those can be fixed and the other one uh, can't. With regard to matrimonial homes, so this is where people, and I see it a lot, after short-term marriages lose hundreds of thousands of dollars and it really makes them bitter and it makes a lot of family lawyers bitter that their clients weren't smarter at the, at the going into it than they were uh, going out. And the way, the way property division works in Ontario is it, it's actually not that complicated in the sort of the big picture. It's kind of complicated when you get to specific issues, but big picture, it's not complicated. And basically how it works is the spouses share their growth and their net worth during their marriage. So they don't share everything. They just share the growth and their net worth. So you take what you had when you um, got married, subtract that from what you had when you got separated, and you do that same with your spouse, and then one spouse makes a payment to the other spouse to make those numbers the same. So they, both people have the same growth and net worth during the marriage. There is one, there, there are a few exceptions to that, and if you happen to be involved in a personal injury accident, that's a big one, but the one that really get people get stuck is matrimonial homes, which is the house or any house, houses or any homes that you occupied with your spouse on the date you separated, you have to share the entire value of that asset, whether you brought it into the marriage or not. So first of all, matrimonial home is always the house that you, you know, your main house. It is often the cottage. It can be the timeshare in Florida, or usually is a timeshare in Florida, because that's how timeshares are used. And sometimes there's uh, you know, a, a condo in Europe or some people or in Ottawa or wherever someone works that the spouses sometimes go to together, those can all, or 
Some people have ski chalets. Those are, can all be matrimonial homes, and they can all be matrimonial homes at the same time. So it's any property that you and your spouse occupied together uh, on the day you separated. Now, why that gets tricky is, and this is where the big problem is, is that you do not get, you have to put in the entire value of all your matrimonial homes on the day of separation. You don't get the credit for bringing it in. So if you had an RSP that, went, that you brought into your marriage and it increased in value by a whole lot, you have to share only the increase in value. If you had well, um, a work of art that from some guy you were in college with who painted and you took from them and they subsequently died during your marriage and everyone wanted it then and it became a very valuable piece of uh, art, you only have to share the increase in value from what happened during your marriage. If you have an investment property, so you have a house that you were renting out to other people and you had it on the day you got married and you had it, still had it when you get separated and it was still pr producing income, you, don't have, you only share the increase in value. But if the house you had on the day you separated is the same house you had on the day you got married, it still goes in for the entire value. And it doesn't really matter what the length of the marriage was. That's the way Ontario law works. So you marry someone, you brought in this house worth a million dollars, you separate two years later, the house is worth $1.2 million, you're sharing $1.2 million with your, uh, your spouse, which is uh, yeah, a bit of a hit. And it causes a lot of bitterness and a lot of anger. And there have been a number of creative ways to try to get around this. The more creative ones are that the husband says to his wife, knowing the husband knowing that their marriage was going south, saying, we need to renovate this house we're living in. We're going to go and let's renovate it and let's move into a, uh, a condo or rent, rent a condo for a while till our house gets renovated, gut the house, um, move into the condo, and then separate while you're in the condo so the house you bind the marriage is no longer the house you separated from. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Does that work? Though? Okay. But, but the, the house that they're renting, it still counts as a matrimonial home, though, because all their properties count as a matrimonial home, don't they? Yeah. No, it's only the house that you're living in is a husband oh, and wife. I thought you wife. said it included the cottage and the timeshare and blah, blah, blah. They, yeah, they're all part of matrimonial home. They can be, yes. Oh, okay. If you're using them as, as the house you lived in, yeah. on, as you lived in together, or you occupied as husband and wife on the day you separated, then it's a matrimonial home. Right. If you're living in the con that rented condo and that's where you're, you're together and that's your matrimonial home and the house that's now in pieces maybe across the street, um, you're not occupying it as husband and wife in the day you separate. It's no longer a matrimonial home. Wow. I am going to remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> I can get away with that. Sounds like a contradiction. What the? The contradiction comes into that if I have a, have a condo in Europe, that's still part of the matrimonial home because we've shared it at one time during the marriage. Whereas just because I'm not there and, and now I get divorced on the day of divorce, that becomes part of the matrimonial value that we split. So that house that's renovating, the intent would show that we're planning to go back into it regardless whether we're living somewhere temporarily or not. So I, have, I suspect it has to do with primary residence versus yeah, it, alternate residence. It, but it's still, that's right. it's still part, it would still be part of the matrimonial. You've lived in it and you've shared it during your marriage. If, if that what you're so saying you, is actually true. Yeah, you share the increase in value. So, yeah, so you'd say if it was started at a million, 
Instead of having to split 1.2, you're just having to split the 200,000. That's right. Which is the well, that's assuming you brought, I love it. House, Brilliant. You brought the house in yeah. America before. That's right. That that's right. And uh, some people who, and I know a number of lawyers who did this, done this in Durham, where you can, you you have a house that you brought into, you're going to, you, you had when you're getting married, and when you're getting married, you love that house, but you're getting married, so you buy the identical house across the street, move into that with your new spouse, so you get the credit for bringing the other one in, and then you can either rent that one out or sell it, but it's no longer your matrimonial home. So. John, wouldn't that just be easier to do a prenuptial agreement? That's the other way. <laughs> that seems like the most straightforward way. I mean, especially, I mean, I mean, I know a lot of people who, who are in second marriages. As, yeah. You know, they've brought grown kids and they've gotten married the second time. And almost all of them do a prenup. That's so what, right. What was, what was mine? What was mine? What's yours? What was yours is yours. Debts and, debts and credits. That's right. So a prenuptial agreement, they're called marriage contracts in Ontario. They, yeah, if I, but they're, um, they can fix that problem. And you can say in a marriage contract that a spouse gets credit for bringing the, the matrimonial home into the marriage. And, or bringing the cottage into the marriage, or part of the family cottage into the marriage, which is where people get really better when they lose their, have to share the value of a family cottage. But you can do a marriage contract that says that. You have to do it the right way, and there's certain procedural requirements to do it. But if you do it right, the right way, Finally, judges just usually say, yeah, that was fair, because this is a, a quirk in Ontario law that no one seems to want to fix. Everyone acknowledges that it was a, a fair thing. And those marriage contracts, we actually do a lot of them. And they're simple, and they're not that long, and they're not that complicated. They require a bit of uh, paperwork to make sure they, you do everything you have to to make sure they stand up. But that is the easiest way to do it. The other easy, the other way that the slightly harder way to do it that the Court of Appeal just approved is to uh, transfer the home into a trust for the spouse and the children. But in order to um, uh, transfer a matrimonial home, you have to get your spouse's consent. So it's almost the same because your spouse has to know that you're taking the house out of your name and putting it into a into the name of a trust, and they have to sign off on that, which means they have to sign off saying, "Yes, I knew you were." taking this away out of, the, out of the property division scheme. So the other way that people can get uh, uh, screwed quickly and they don't realize it is moving in with a new partner who has kids. If you treat those children as your own and you parent them and you stand in the place of a parent, you're on the hook for child support for them. That's the way it works. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and a marriage contract can't fix that. Nothing can fix that. If you stand in the place of a, a parent for your children, you're going to pay child support for them even if the kids are already getting support from their biological parents. Oh. Biological parents always pay full table support. Second step parents can pay a lesser amount depending on what the court thinks is fair in the circumstances and what the children need. So if you spent a lot on those kids during the relationship and gave them a, a style of living that they are um, really love and the other, the other um, bio dad or bio mom lives in a trailer park, you're paying a lot of child support. So is that true for common law as well? As it is true for common law as well. As long as you stood in the place of a parent, you're on the hook for uh, um, child support. You can do a, a marriage contract or cohabitation agreement that says that you don't intend to stand in the place of a parent, and that's a piece of evidence that says that you didn't. But if in fact you did, you're still on the hook. Um, so you need to 
make sure that you stand in the place of a babysitter. That's what the courts basically said. You can babysit the kids, but if you're involved in the decisions, important decisions about them, if you are disciplining them, if you're calling them your kids, they're calling you mom or dad, then you're on the hook for child support. So, and that's another way your heart, which into your spouse and to the kids can get you into some serious financial trouble. So you can to self ignore your stepchildren? <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have the same relationship they would if they were your actual children, yeah. Let's say that you split and you decide that you really did love these kids. Do you have any rights to visitation and all that? Yes, you do. Oh, okay. You do have a right and uh, a, a fairly good case. Actually, anyone has a right to apply for custody access of any child. But it depends on the child's relationship is a big factor that's considered. So if you have a close relationship with a child, then yes, you are going to uh, uh, get access to the children. And just remember, a monkey does not qualify under the custody of access to children. <laughs> pets, yeah, pets are chattels. They're not children. And although people like to work out custody and access things, your rights to a monkey or a dog are the same as the rights to a couch. I hope you enjoyed this special Valentine's Day edition of the Ontario Family Law Podcast, which was recorded live at an intimate and interactive session. There will be more of these discussions coming up soon. My name is John Schumann. I'm a family lawyer, mediator, and arbitrator, and collaborative lawyer in Toronto. You can reach me at www.devrylaw.ca, www.devrylaw.ca, or you can call me at 416-446-5847. Thanks for listening. We will talk again soon.